welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And I know you guys can't see him tonight, but Amari looking real dapper tonight here <laughs> after the Pistons game, man. You're looking fresh. I like it. I appreciate that. This is the first time we've recorded after a Monday uh, game in probably a month and a half. They had a weird stretch where they had like five or six Mondays in a row. And, uh, you know, of course, just by virtue of this week being trade deadline week, which, of course, um, is what everybody's focused on right now. We're going to talk about a lot in this episode. Uh, we figured let's record like as close to the deadline as possible, which means that I got back from the game and just sat right in front of my computer to record this week's episode because that's how committed we are. Absolutely. I mean, it's a good thing because I bet we would have recorded Sunday like morning and then the Kyrie trade would have happened, which wouldn't be a huge deal for us, but still I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point or would have talked about that. And before we get too far into this, we have to mention that we are always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport, that's holding it down behind the scenes. And speaking of gear, Amari, we finally have a huge announcement. We dropped it on Twitter on Monday, but if you don't follow us on Twitter, which you should, at Motor City Hoops and at Omari Sankofa, we got the Pistons Pulse merchandise, shop.freep.com. And we were talking about before we started recording, Amari, there's some really cool gear. Yeah, uh, it's, it's funny. So we've kind of hinted at this and we knew this was coming for a while. Uh, actually, I had no clue when the site was going to go up today. It was like almost like a shadow drop. Um, and it looks good. Uh, like just go on shop.freepress.com and there's just like a lot of good stuff. Like we have hoodies, we have sweatshirts, t-shirts, uh, coffee bugs, stickers. I definitely didn't expect to have that, that sort of stuff. Uh, all, all price ranges. So, you know, anyway, you want to support, like we definitely appreciate it. And, and we've been excited about this for a while. So we're excited to uh, finally have this for you all. Yeah, it's been, it's been huge, right? Since the turn of the year, we, we did our first live show last week. We got another one coming up, the merchandise. And speaking of that live show, Amari being the worker that he is, I know he's got all sorts of articles to write on Thursday, but it is the NBA trade deadline, guys. And no matter what the Pistons do from here until Thursday, on Thursday up to the deadline, we are going to go live again on the Free Press YouTube channel, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. You'll get Omari and I's reactions. You can ask questions, interact with us. And then, of course, the podcast version will drop Friday morning. But we're excited about going live again. That was a lot of fun last week, Amari. Yeah, it was. Uh, we got really great turnout uh, for that one. Some really great questions. So uh, big thanks to everybody who participated. And yeah, it went so well that we're going to run it back about 10 days later and do one after the trade deadline on, on Thursday. So uh, if you have pressing questions about what the Pistons do uh, or don't do, uh, drop it in the chat on YouTube. And uh, it'll either be an easy day for me. I'm flying back from Cleveland that day. It'll either be a really long day for me or a, a really, really short day if, uh, you know, everything we're hearing about the Pistons is upcoming true and it ends up being quiet. So regardless, uh, we're going to sit down live with you guys on Thursday. So definitely join us and should be another fun one. And make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube channel now, dropping a lot of episodes on there, doing the live shows. And, you know, if you don't watch on YouTube and you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, give us a rating, give us a review. We'll give you a shout out on the pod like we're about to with Poetic Justice 21. He said, amazing job bringing in Keith Smith on this pod. Great insight from all three of you. Love the talk on contracts and future value of players from not only a Pistons perspective, but also from teams around the league. Keep up the good work, fellas. Omari, I mean, I don't know that we get more compliments than we do around Keith Smith when we bring a guest on. That guy's the absolute GOAT, man. He's amazing. No, absolutely. I mean, Keith Smith, like, there are just few people in the NBA sphere who have his his knowledge when it comes to uh, just the way the, the cap operates. Uh, there's just so many obscure rules and uh, just so much to remember with it. And, and Keith's always a great resource as far as that, keeping everything in order. And also pretty knowledgeable about the going-ons in the NBA as well. Uh, so that was the second time we brought him on. We definitely have him on again. Uh, always great to have it. And good to see that it resonated with people as well because he, I mean, it really was one of the best episodes we've done, I believe. No, absolutely. And I'm going to bring up Keith a little bit later because he actually tweeted out about one of our players, Hamadou Diallo, um, to his team that he kind of covers and follows the Boston Celtics. So when we get to these mock trades that a lot of you submitted to us on Twitter, I'm going to bring that one back up as well. But we do have a quick 
correction from episode 50, Omari. You and I got a little bit backwards talking about the offseason of the NBA and NFL, and we discussed the NBA draft and then free agency backwards in the wrong direction when talking about Marvin Bagley's deal and the draft pick of Jalen Duran. The draft actually does happen before free agency. So Jalen Duran was picked before Marvin Bagley III officially got his contract with the Pistons, but I think we both would agree that the the premise behind your point was the same, where the Pistons most likely already had something worked out with Marvin Bagley III, not really expecting to be able to draft Jalen Duren on draft night. Uh, They went into the offseason with the plan to uh, bring back Bagley. uh, Yeah, just got wires crossed last week uh, during that episode, so we apologize for that. Uh, You know, I am... I, I, I talk live, right? You know, when I write, you know, you're able to go back and, and edit and fact check and everything. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you talk live and, you know, you say things that are not quite correct. So we corrected it. And, uh, yeah, sorry about that, everyone. No, it's all, hey, 50 episodes, we're entitled to a few mistakes here and there. So <laughs> if, if that's the worst mistake we made in 50 episodes, I think we're doing pretty good. Uh, real quick, Wow, you had asked a question on the YouTube and you tweeted at me. At your, I know you're a big fan of the podcast and we appreciate you. We will get to your redraft of the 2020 draft and the top 10 at some point. It may not be till the off season, but that will be a part of an episode eventually. Just wanted to give you a shout out. And then one last thing before we start talking about tonight's game and the games this week and the storylines and the dr- trade deadline, Amari. I made the comment last episode about how you're quote unquote, not a fan of the Pistons. And I had multiple people reach out to me like, what do you mean Amari's not a fan of the Pistons? Who does Amari cheer for? And I was like, Amari doesn't cheer for anybody. His job is to cover the Pistons. So I wanted to give you a quick chance here at the top to just to kind of explain that to everybody who you know may not completely understand it yeah i see this misconception a lot um like i see it on on, on twitter a lot when you know myself or somebody else will mention i'll be the fan of the pistons and people are like what how you're not a fan of the team you cover and honestly i think a lot of the misunderstandings between fans and beat writers kind of come from the expectation that fans kind of see beat writers as being as being on their side and i guess maybe in some respects yeah like we cover the you know team we follow so you know, you're lying there, but, you know, I think a lot of times fans expect a certain amount of allegiance that, you know, we don't show. And the reason for that is because, you know, I'm, like, I'm not a fan. Like, my job isn't to root for the Pistons. My job is to provide objective coverage of the Pistons, be sourced about the Pistons, and give honest, accurate, objective info. And I could not do that if I were a fan of the team, right? And I don't think anybody would want a beat writer whose, you know, judgment or whose writing is clouded by their fandom. Uh, you want honesty, you want, you know, something that's objective and you, you know, don't want something that's buttered up or misrepresented uh, because you want the team to look good, right? Uh, so my job specifically really is to not be a fan, is to be a reporter and, you know, take that seriously. And, you know, I'm, like I'm always surprised that that's surprising to people, but, you know, I think it's good to clear it up every now and then. Is that I don't really root for any NBA team. Like I was a Pistons fan when I was growing up as a kid. And, um, you know, I've been doing, like, you know, I've been covering the NBA for five years now. Uh, I've, you know, I've been a professional journalist for about, you know, eight years, you know, since I graduated. And, um, you know, I think the further you get into this, really when you start doing this full time as a job to start doing it in college, you lose that fandom pretty quick just because you turn on the reporter part of your brain and, um, you start seeing the athletes as like people, like you're around them all the time. Like that sort of the 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 mysticism that allows you to be a fan kind of gets broken. You're covering the team on a, like a full time basis. So um, no, like I would say, like the you know, it's not a lot of teams I kind of like saw a fandom for. Uh, like I went to Michigan State, so you know I didn't have that for a while, and that's kind of coming back. Uh, NBA wise, I'm just a fan of the game. Like that's you know kind of corny, but you know that's kind of what it is at this point. You know, I just like basketball, and the Pistons are the team I cover. Um, you know, you always have some. I mean, I'm born and raised in Detroit, so there's always going to be love there. But as far as actual team, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm a beat writer, and I'm definitely going to keep it that way. I think that's why we bring, you know, good analysis and thoughts on the team on this podcast is you're not a fan. I'm obviously a fan, but I don't live and die with the Pistons because I didn't grow up a Pistons fan. I've only been, you know, following the Pistons for a couple years. If we were doing a Kansas City Chiefs podcast, as I was telling you earlier today, Amari, I would not be giving objective opinions on the Kansas City Chiefs because I literally live and die with what that team does every single Sunday. And I do, for everybody listening, I was in the same boat as you. I didn't know the beat writers weren't fans. 
uh, the when I first found out this, I was doing an interview with James Edwards III back on the old Motor City Hoops podcast. And I essentially asked him a question like he was a fan and he kind of corrected me and let me know. And from then on, I knew, but it did take that moment and kind of that interaction with James Edwards to, to know that. So we did want to clear that up just a little bit. But let, let's get into the content of the episode, Amari, and let's start with the Celtics game here on Monday night. It was a good first half, I feel like. I don't know what you thought about the game. I thought the Pistons played well. They just couldn't make a three. That pretty much carried over for the whole game. But third quarter, Jason Tatum takes over, and the Celtics jump out to a huge lead. I think they were up by as many as 24, but a Killian Hayes and Hamadou Diallo run cut the lead to six, I believe, in the fourth. And we actually got a, a kind of entertaining game there in the second half, or in the fourth quarter, at least. The game was, I, like, the game was more competitive than the final score. And you see that they were down, I think, 23 in the third quarter. And you think, oh, this was just like a straight blowout. But it really wasn't. It really wasn't. I think, as you mentioned, the difference was just the three-point shooting. I think that was the primary reason. Uh, the Celtics hit 16 threes, the Pistons hit nine. And the 21-point gap is going to be hard to make up for on most nights. Uh, and then you couple that. Jason Tatum started off slow. He had two points, I believe, in the first quarter. Uh, only hit one shot. Like, this is first five. And then he goes seven for eight in the third quarter and scores 18 in the third quarter. And that's a quarter where Boston really took control of the game. Uh, so yeah, Killian Hayes, like he opened the fourth quarter for three. Uh, the Pistons had, I believe, a 19-7 run that cut the deficit down to six midway through the fourth quarter. And then, you know, Tatum checked there for like eight minutes to go and uh, Boston just kind of turned up and closed it out. But yeah, to me, really, like as you said, Bryce, it was just a three-point shooting and then, then Tatum finding his rhythm and you know, and then once that happens, it's just not a, much the Pistons can do. But uh, that game wasn't as bad as the final score. It, I mean, the Pistons hit a couple more threes. Like, it's way more competitive down the, the, the stretch, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I think at halftime, the Celtics and the Pistons had the same amount of field goal attempts, field goal makes, and free throw makes. The difference was the Celtics had made seven more threes than the Pistons at half, and it was a seven-point lead, obviously. And, and the same thing in the second half. It should be noted Jalen Brown didn't play in this game for the Celtics, and obviously Marcus Smart didn't play as well. So the, the Celtics were a little bit shorthanded. Obviously, the Pistons are playing every game shorthanded. I want to talk about Killian Hayes, Amari. I, I don't know that I really preface this coming into the episode. Our outline here in segment one is a little bit fluid until we get to the trade deadline stuff, but he's been a hot topic since getting moved out of the starting lineup. He had a couple rough games. And I just want to say, tonight is proof that it's not about whether Killian starts or comes off the bench. He played incredible tonight, Amari. He had an incredible game off the bench. 17 points, 9 assists, 2 rebounds, only 1 turnover, 2 steals, a block. He ended up playing 32 minutes because I think Coach Casey rewarded him for playing well. I just... I don't even know that I agree with Killian getting moved to the bench and Alex Burks being moved to the starting lineup, but I hate the narrative that it's just crushing to Killian and it's unfair to Killian and he can't be successful coming off the bench. Tonight was proof that he can be and that really just comes down to whether or not Killian Hayes plays well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the bottom line for Killian is that while he has played better this season, really since he came back from that suspension, he really had not shot the ball well. Uh, he went back to around 30% from three and um, sub 40% from the field and however many games he's played, you know, in January and February. And tonight, you know, was probably his best all-around game uh, since he came back from the suspension. And he really kind of changed the game in, in Detroit's favor for a bit in the fourth quarter when he hit those three three-pointers. Um, yeah, like I've seen, you know, like a lot of fretting on Twitter about, you know, Killian being moved back to the bench after he has this good stretch and confidence and this and that. And I agree, like I don't buy into that at all. Like if you think that, Killian should start on basketball merits. Like, I think that's fair. If it's purely based on his confidence, then, you know, I kind of, like, I kind of roll my eyes at that a little bit because he's an NBA player and an NBA role player at that. And NBA role players typically are expected to produce whether they start or come off the bench. So if Killian cut off the bench affects his confidence to the point where he's not playing well, that argument is essentially saying Killian Hayes is not an NBA player. You know, Isaiah Stewart comes off the bench, he's expected to perform, and he doesn't. Sadiq Bay comes off the bench, the expectation's still there. Uh, you have Alec Burks, who's like above 60% true shooting percentage off season, uh, came off the bench up until recently, you know, performed well. He's 30 years old on like a bad team, come off the bench and uh, still been like a top two or three player on, on, on this team. And, you know, that's what real players do. That's what professionals do. And, you know, Killian, you know, like he's he's been good. Um, you know, I still think he's probably just been like pretty good role player on his good nights. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's great that he's playing well, but, you know, I, I guess to me going from, 
non-NBA player. The NBA player, you know, doesn't necessarily guarantee you a spot in the starting lineup. So, uh, you know, it's good for Killian. It's good for Killian to come off the bench. I think it's good for him to figure out ways to impact the game, regardless of which lineups he's out there with. Because, you know, again, like you look at guys across the league, like Tyus Jones is a good point guard. He comes off the bench. Um, you know, the Pistons don't have John Morant, but they certainly hope Jaden Ivey can develop and get close to what Ja is for Memphis. And, you know, I think that's just what it's about, right? Uh, Killian's in year three. He's improved a lot. Uh, he's been more consistent. He's scoring the ball. Those things are great. The Pistons need him to do that regardless of who he's out there with. And that's going to be coming off the bench sometimes. And just the whole confidence thing, like I agree. I just, like, if a guy's, is that hurt coming off the bench? And he's just probably not going to pan out. And I don't think Killian took it that way. I think Killian understands it's the same way everybody else has. So, you know, I'll let you, you go, go Bryce. But, you know, I, I just, I just don't think we need to coddle the NBA players. I think that they're growing men and they can figure it out. That, that was my only point. Like what you just said, it was my only point. And that's, I sent out a tweet and yes, Twitter is about engagement and I knew it would get a stir, but essentially my point was when does Killian take responsibility for Killian's play? Why, why is it always Dwayne Casey? Cause Here's the thing, Omari, we can get on Twitter right now. Ain't nobody giving Dwayne Casey love for how Killian Hayes played tonight. Nobody's giving Dwayne Casey love for the back-to-back 20-point games from Sadiq Bey. And they shouldn't. They should give the players credit when they play well, and it should be the players' responsibility when they don't play well. And you touched on it, and I believe it was at Michael Aaron on Twitter, took it right out of my notes. If this is if Killian has to have the perfect vacuum to play in to be successful, if he has to start and have a role man and be surrounded by three NBA-level shooters just to be like a competent NBA player, then he's not an NBA player. Not every single player is in like a 100% perfect scenario for them to be successful. I'm not saying that like you can just put four other homies around him and no spacing, but if he can't be successful with, I mean, these guys don't suck. Like it's Isaiah Livers. He's playing with Jalen Duran. Isaiah Stewart's a fine player. Sadiq Bey is shooting the ball well. Those guys are good enough for him to be successful. So I, I know I'm getting a little worked up about this. Obviously, it's been something I've wanted to talk about. Like I just, you can't just put him in the perfect scenario. And if he's not successful without the perfect scenario, like who does that say something about? Yeah, I agree. Like. You know, like most most role players don't get to play in perfectly exactly. perfect circumstances. Like that's just like LeBron's not playing in perfect circumstances, right? Like that's not something like that's a luxury. That's a luxury in the NBA or really in any level of basketball. And good players figure it out, right? Like Killian, like he's a good three point shooter. He can knock open threes. He's had that that pull up midi. Like he's he's developing tools where he can find points even if he's not in ideal circumstances. That's what you need to see because uh, it's really hard to succeed in the NBA without that. And yeah, again, like long term, Killian's probably, you know, a bench player for this team. You know, when K comes back, you have Ivy next season. Like this is a very wing heavy draft outside of the top two. Uh, there's going to be a lot of downward pressure, you know, preventing Killian Hayes from starting a lot of games going forward unless he has another leap in him. And that's fine if he's, you know, like your backup point guard who can start or you can slot him into any lineup. And you know, he's going to connect everybody and, you know, defensively be good, knock down shots. Like that's a good thing to have. But yeah, like I agree. Like you can't really blame the coaching staff. The coaching staff has to do what the coaching staff needs to do. And there are basketball reasons to start Ivy because he's already a better scorer now than Killian's ever been. Like that's just a fact. And he's has way more upside than Killian's ever had. Now, that's not a knock on Killian. It doesn't mean that they dislike Killian. It's just an acknowledgement that they need to prioritize getting Ivy those reps. And then Burks as well as he shot it. I mean, I think that's self-explanatory, right? Like they bring it off the bench, but he's been good. Um, so yeah, I agree. Like, uh, you know, NBA players are responsible for themselves. Um, you're responsible for your own development and, you know, just figuring things out. And and Killian can can do it. Like, I don't think there's any signs from him that he's uh, losing confidence or, you know, is rejecting his role. Uh, you know, he's, he's in, in, in year three. And, uh, you know, and that's basically it. Uh, you know, I think there are things you can criticize. And if you think he should just start because he's a better passer or a better defender or whatever else, I think that's cool. But, uh, no, you know, but at the end of the day, I think we, you know, I think a lot of people like that Killian is playing better. He's a step up overall pick and people are invested in his story. And sometimes that can kind of override the other part where it's like, well, let's just look at this from a pure basketball standpoint, right? Like not even just Killian's journey or your investment in him being a, the best player he can be. What's best for the Pistons? And I think you can make an argument that this current lineup is working 
and they're seeing what they want from it so far as far as Ivy's development. It's not like a Marvin Bagley when he was playing with the Sacramento Kings and they just stood him in the corner and never let him to do what he does best. Like Killian is getting more on-ball reps, which is what everybody says he's good at with the second unit. So he's getting to play in a role where he can be successful. So that's the other point here is it's not Marvin Bagley, Sacramento Kings, go stand in the corner and be a corner three-point shooter, not a pick-and-roll dunker, offensive rebounder type player. And you just brought up a really good point. It almost reminds me of, I hope none of the parents of the kids I coach listen to the podcast, but it almost reminds me of parents of the kids I coach. What do parents of kids you coach think about? Only their kid. That's all they think about. They don't think about what's best for the team and the other 12, 20, how many ever players you have on your roster. And as fans, I think sometimes we do that as well. We get narrowly focused on this one individual player, whether it's Killian or Jaden or Jalen or Stu or whoever. Well, Troy Weaver, Dwayne Casey, the coaching staff, the organization, they have to look at all 15, 17, on down to the G League. They have to do what's best for everybody. They can't make decisions just singularly based on one person. And I think that's sometimes where we lose track of things. If this was the best decision for Jaden Ivey, then at the end of the day, it's the decision that need to be made. And we've seen Jaden Ivey play some of his best basketball. Another thing, too, is that not just on this team, I think you can look at a lot of NBA rosters and see that the, the depth they have at guard, because point guard, is incredibly deep right now. Uh, really, both of those guard spots. And Killian would probably come off the bench for most NBA teams. Like, you could even look at a team like Orlando, like, let's say, they were able to acquire Killian Hayes. Like, you know, is Killian better than Janice Suggs right now? Probably. You know, who do they prioritize long-term, though? You know, they probably prioritize the guy that they just took the fourth or fifth pick last year. Um, you know, that's just the reality. You know, I don't think it's, you know, I think, I think fans read the game like fans instead of, like, uh, like coaches or, like, analysts sometimes. And you kind of see it as... I'm investing in Killian's growth and they did something I would not do. Therefore, that means they hate Killian or they dislike Killian or have some sort of vendetta against them. And it's like, no, it's just for basketball reasons. Honestly, uh, he's played about at the level of a bench guard and, um, you know, him going from non-NBA player to, you know, pretty solid out around role player would not guarantee any NBA player a job in the starting lineup because that's just how the NBA works. So, like, that's just how it, it goes. Um, you know, Killian's been a great storyline. Like, I don't think he's going to be permanently glued to the bench for the rest of his career. Uh, you know, everybody's going to get the opportunity because the team is bad and they're going to miss him max a little bit. And it was Killian Hayes' turn. You know, the rest of his draft class came off the bench. It was his turn. And I think that's basically all it came down to for the coaching staff. Yeah, I just, I wanted to get into that a little bit. Obviously, I had some opinions I, I needed to get out. Yeah. So I got that <laughs> off my chest. I'll sleep a little bit better tonight. There you um, go. But we're going to go to a short break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Cade Cunningham injured player exemption that the Pistons did get because that question was actually asked of us during the live show and it had not happened yet. So we'll get Amari's thoughts on that as well as truly dive into this NBA trade deadline specifically towards our Pistons. All right, we are back with segment two of the Pistons Post, and we're going to get into this disabled uh, player exception, which um, I'll just say right now, like I don't necessarily expect it to mean a lot um, for the Pistons in this upcoming trade down. It does give them a little bit of extra uh, leeway. It's about it's about 5.3 million. And, you know, if there's like a... a trade would have to be a little extra cap room for like that's cool but what one thing you can't really do with it is just like outright sign a player without a roster spot right so the pisses are completely solid during the deadline to carry that same roster in um that doesn't just give them like an extra roster spot like they would still need a spot they still have to do some maneuvering to take advantage of it so uh will it help them out you know probably you know it's not going to turn the season around i can tell you that um you know but it remains to be seen if they do anything that taps into it but my wage would be that's probably not going to make that big of a difference, but it will give them a little bit of extra flexibility. One of the mock trades we got was from Roe on Twitter. Um, shout out. That's the nickname for my oldest son. But he said a 2025 second round pick for Darius Baisley of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, you know, that's not necessarily one that necessarily moves the needle for me. Baisley had a couple good seasons with the Thunder um, whenever they really weren't very good. Obviously, they're much better this year and he's not playing nearly as much. But I think overall, even more than it being specifically Darius Baisley, Amari, it's is 
it would give the Pistons an opportunity to do something like this. Just take a flyer on a young player who another team, you know, may not be playing right now and you give up a second round pick and you're able to bring that player in with this exemption. As you said, though, you would have to create a roster spot, but maybe that's where a buyout of Nerlens Noel or something would happen. We'll talk about Nerlens, I'm sure more. So I, I do think it opens up for something like that. Like Cam Thomas just dropped 40 points again tonight for the Brooklyn Nets. Back-to-back games for Cam Thomas. You know, he was a guy that wasn't even playing. So is I'm not saying there's a Cam Thomas out there, but maybe there's somebody out there that the Pistons could trade a future second for that would fit into this and, you know, just take a flyer on. And we've seen uh, Troy Weaver take these types of uh, chances on guys in the past, whether it's Dennis Smith Jr. or Marvin Bagley last year or Hamidou Diallo, uh, you know, another you know, trade with OKC that, you know, exchanged second round pick for a high flying uh, wing. And that one's worked out pretty well for the Pistons, right? Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of people kind of fretting about Sevilla at, at the, the time because of the shooting. And uh, Hamidou's been fantastic for the Pistons this season. So, um, you know, I, I do think there's a possibility we'll see that that type of uh, move. Um you know, like as far as like what does this impact Bogey or Alec Burks or anything like that, I don't think so. But like we could definitely see a move along the margins that gets just another young guy into the system that, you know, Trey may take a flyer on. And uh, Darius Baisley, it's funny, like I, I see a, a lot of people looking at Cam Reddish. Like I think I'm more intrigued. I think I'm more intrigued by Baisley, honestly, just because, you know, just of the tools that he has, I think he can do a lot of things that the Pistons need. Cam Reddish seems to be the hot name for Pistons fans. So let's just stay there for a second. I don't have a whole lot of interest in that. I don't know if any of the deals we got mentioned Reddish specifically. It doesn't look like it, but I had him in the notes just to talk. Well, here's one from Derek Brooks. He said, Bay to the Knicks for Reddish and the Detroit's own first round pick back. That's another thing that Pistons fans really want, Omari, is they want that first round pick back that... I don't even know where all of it's been, like Oklahoma City, Houston, Milwaukee, New York, Charlotte. It's been all over the place, um, but it's with the Knicks right now. I, I've noticed a lot of fans, essentially, they're willing to give up Sadiq Bay to get that first-round pick back, to get the protections and, and get that off there. I have seen a lot of people kind of focus on that pick, which I think makes sense because you just look at it from a flexibility standpoint. You get that pick back and then the pieces are made whole. And, um, you know, then if you want to make a run for a superstar in the summer and you have the bogey contract, you have the Perks contract, you have all your first round picks, you can include as many as you want. Uh, that would open up a lot of possibilities. So, um, you know, I think I think from that respect, like it makes sense why people have kind of pinpointed that. And then, of course, you bring in the fact that the Pistons of New York have had very, very good trade chemistry. Because so it makes sense because the Pistons allowed them to pry Jalen Brunson away from 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 Dallas last year. And you're looking at it, you're saying, um, you know, like is there another deal that could be done here? And I get that. You know, I think you know for me, it's like nothing Dallas, like nothing New York really offered. Like that pick would be good, but like asset-wise is what you're giving up worthwhile. Um, and I think, like, I saw when I did uh, my fake trade story, like, the other week, and people were sending me a lot of trades that involved bogey going to New York for that pick. I'm like, that feels like maybe a little bit of overpay because, uh, you know, but if it's, like, Sadiq and, you know, I think you kind of look at, you know, the soft season where, obviously, you'll have, you know, Bay, you know, uh, Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, all like such eligible and, a lot of base skills that is replicated by uh, Bogey, then okay, maybe a, a sneak bait deal here makes a little bit more sense. I just think the other side of that is if you're New York, you probably want a little bit more than that. So, um, you know, I still don't necessarily see that as a strong possibility, but I think it makes sense that people have pinpointed that pick as something that the person should maneuver back for. So let's just go through this real quick, Amari, because we can essentially figure out what year this first round pick would be so we have the protections outlined here um west put it in so it's top 18 protected in 2023 we think the pistons are going to keep that i think we both agree right yeah no absolutely or the knicks would keep that or the piss the pistons will keep it it'll still be owed to the knicks down the line top 18 protected in 2024 do we think that it conveys then you know, no, so that's a little bit of a coin flip for me because it's like, can the Pistons essentially, you know, it's like top 18 protectors. How good do they have to be? I think you need a lot to go right. So I think more than likely this probably doesn't convey until like around 2025. So 2025, it's top 13 protected. I feel like that's the first year where you're thinking like, uh, that might actually get moved. 
Yeah, like you make the play-in, essentially, or even if you just missed the playoffs, like you probably convey it. So by then, I think, I would think the front office would like to convey it by then. I think if you don't convey that pick by 25, something's probably going wrong. So essentially what you're doing is you're trading Sadiq Bey for a mid first round pick in 2025. Like that's essentially what become is because if you don't get that pick back, Detroit would not have a first round pick in the year 2025. And in 2026, just for everybody, it's top 11 protected, 2027, top nine protected. If it's not conveyed by then, it's a second round pick in 2028. But that's, that's, I think that's valuable. Like that's pretty valuable to have your own pick in 2025 or maybe even 2026 when you hope you've capped out your salary because Cade's on a mega deal because he's a star. Ivy's on a mega deal because he's a star. The 2023 pick's on a mega deal because he's a star. And I think having your own 2025 first round pick will be valuable at that point. Probably not going to be in the 20s because you're not making a deep playoff run yet, but it's probably into the lottery or mid to late, uh, you know, teens. So I can see it. I'm still not sure I would move Sadiq Bay for it, but I can understand why Pistons fans are so interested in getting that pick back. Like, I was just saying, like, if it were me, like, you know, if, if I can get that pick back for Sadiq and Cam Reddish, like, that's probably like the best case scenario for like a sneak bait deal, honestly, to get a first round pick for a former first round pick who you drafted the 17th pick, and you know, who's been, you know, up and down a little bit this year. Like, I think that's, I mean, I, I think that would be a home run for the Pistons if they are truly ready to move on from Sadiq Bay now. Um, from New York's angle, I'll just be shocked if they gave that pick up for a guy like Sadiq. If you're giving that pick up, I think you need a, you know, somebody who's definitely going to help you make a playoff run and, you know, Sadiq being a guy who, you know, against been up and down, you don't know what he's going to give you in the playoffs. And on top of that, um, is due to make some money here pretty soon. Uh, you know, I think that suppresses his value. Um, so I like, I, if, if I'm New York, I'm probably not doing that unless I'm getting at least an Alec Burks kind of a player back. Would Tom Thibodeau even play Sadiq Bay? Like, I feel like he would be I'm the guy. That, question. Like he may not. Like, he's the type of player to me that the Knicks would trade for and then just never play because he's not that good defensively. And we know Thibodeau is fine playing small lineups or like uh, short rotations, not small rotations, but, you know, shortening the rotations. And if you don't play defense, then you don't play for Tom Thibodeau. So I don't even think he makes sense in New York. I I would love to, I need to just ask some of my Knicks friends, you know, what the intrigue is there. I'm actually going on a podcast later in the week. So I'll have to ask Chris LeBron of off the ball network, you know, what, what the intrigue is there and, and if he has it or not, but it has been reported that Sadiq Bey may actually be the most gettable piston on the market, Omari. Do you, is that what you are hearing? Do you agree with that sentiment? And do you think he actually gets moved? Because I haven't thought that that's a real possibility until here in the last couple of days. I don't think he gets moved. And, you know, I haven't talked about it as much just because I'll be really surprised to see a team offer something that would make it worthwhile for the Pistons. Like I kind of talked about New York, right? And, um, you know, I had somebody else send me a trade the other week where it was like, the Lakers give up one of their firsts for Sadiq. And, you know, I think that those deals just aren't realistic for Sadiq. Like, teams aren't going to give up a first for a guy who's not even starting for one of the NBA's worst teams, uh, you know, especially when he's due for an extension this summer and we hit a restricted free agency a, a year from now. I give up a first for a guy that you may not even want to commit to in my term, um, you know, depending on what that price ends up being. You know, and because of that, I just don't think the Pistons see anything that they don't want to do. And I don't think they're in a rush to move Sadiq anyway. But yes, like Bogey and Burks have value, right? Like these guys are on good team contracts. They're proven contributors. And the Pistons are looking at these guys like we want them back next, like at least into the offseason of that next season. Um, they're, they're too valuable for anything, but this we want to get now. And we want to get through this season and bring these two guys into the offseason where we can make a more informed decision and the value will still be there. So that's the thinking of Bogey and Burks. For Bay, um, of course, the best version of Bay is probably a lot of what you already get from Bogey. And like, yeah, like I like 100%, like of Killian, Isaiah, and Bay, I think he is the most gettable for opposing teams because he is, if you had to rank, you know, the Pistons, uh, like of that group, um, who gives us the most value going forward, I think it is easiest to replace the deep skill set. Um, you can get a wing who can shoot pretty well and may even give you more value defensively and not have to pay a lot of money for it, right? Like relative to what it would take for a guy like Isaiah Stewart who can switch from the guards and defend bigs. And, you know, assuming the shooting continues to stick, he was like 0 for 7 tonight. So that's kind of been in the slump for him. But, you know, I think that 
with like I think Isaiah Stewart, it's harder to get Isaiah Stewart than it is to get Sadiq Bays, right? And then a guy like Killian who kind of does everything, like that's a very valuable role playing guard, and uh, you know his price might be pretty good too. So yes, I think Sadiq Bay is the most gettable for those reasons, but I think him being the most gettable, and that's not the same as him being most likely to be traded now. Uh, you know, just because he's in that weird zone of his long term value for Detroit. It's probably greater than any pick they would realistically get. Like you're not going to move them for a second round pick, right? Unless you're just totally like it's time to move on from the Sadiq Bay era, era. And I don't think the Pistons are quite there yet. What about Hamadou Diallo? We talked about him earlier. Key Smith, good friend, had a tweet. You know, obviously he watched the game on Monday night. Hami had a stretch where Hami did what Hami does, which is just bring some energy, blocked a shot, got some layups, just caused some havoc. And I think Key's tweet was essentially that Hami fits into Boston's you know trade exemption somewhere. I don't know what it's from or whatever. I don't know what Boston would send in return. Just looking at their roster, I don't think there's necessarily a player. But, you know, a second-round pick, would would you move Hami for a like, I don't think I would move Hami for a second-round pick. And nobody's going to give a first-round pick for Hami. I don't know that there's a young prospect that would make sense unless somebody just really thinks he can be a part of their playoff rotation. I'm more inclined to bring Hami back and give him a two years plus club option in year three type deal at five years or excuse me, five million a year. We talked about this an episode ago. Do you think there's any you know chance that Hami gets moved at the deadline? No, I don't think that they would just move Hami for a second round pick. Again, you have a guy who's really uh, fit in here. Uh, he's a guy that, that, that Troy Weaver sought out, right? Like he gave up a little bit of draft capital and like Savita Gitto. Uh, I just don't see how in the middle of his best season and he's on a really good contract. You could probably resign him later for a pretty good team contract. Uh, he's a great locker room guy like Killian, you know, talked tonight about just how good of a teammate he is. And just the consistency and in- energy he's brought to see him off the bench every night. Um, you know, I think moving him for a second round pick would probably <laughs> kind of go against the philosophy of British front office's thinking right now. Um, if you do that type of deal, it's just more of a, we just need to get a homie off the team for some reason, Dale. It's not like, I just don't think a second round pick's enough of an asset to, you know, come off of a guy who's been a really good player for you this season. And, um, you know, again, as a second round pick, whatever guy you pick, you probably would want him to be at least like a homie level impact long term, right? Like if you get a bench guard or a bench wing, who's going to give you consistent energy every night, that's a pretty good outcome for any second round you know, player you get with that pick. So uh, I would be surprised to see that happen personally. Yeah, the only reason I was thinking at one point was, you know, because I was super high on Isaiah Livers, Kevin Knox was playing well. Hami's outplayed both of those guys. And I don't even know that it's close, Amari. And you know how high I was on Isaiah Livers coming into the season. And as much as I like his game, he he hasn't been as good so far this season. I know he's battled some injuries, but he hasn't been as good as what I expected him to be. And Knox went through that stretch, you know, what was it around Thanksgiving, early December, where he played really well. But he's not even getting minutes right now on a nightly basis. So I, I don't see a reason to move on from Hamadou Diallo. Let's talk about one more, a vet before we go to break. And then when we come back, we'll have to get into Boyan and Burks, the kind of the two bigger names. Nerlens Noel. And so I, I just want to throw out some teams, the Blazers, the Kings, the Heat, the Mavs, who made a huge deal, the Nuggets, the Sixers, again, the Celtics, all teams that have, quote unquote, been reported, interested in Nerlens Noel. When we talked with Keith Smith, he said the market for Nerlens Noel was probably the buyout market. What is your thought? You think they do? What, what's your prediction? Do you think they end up getting a second round for Nerlens, or do you think he ends up making it past the deadline? And, and does he get bought out then in that scenario if they don't find a trade partner? You know, I wouldn't be shocked if there's like a larger deal uh, the Pistons get involved in, and you know, Nerlens with his, his contract just makes him a very natural fit for that. Um, you know, if the question is more so, is it like a one-on-one deal? I like that's a coin flip for me. Honestly, I think. He is sort of like on the cusp of, is there a team who really thinks he's going to, you know, be worth giving an asset up for? And then you kind of get into more of like the desperation mode, right? Like, well, is a team desperate enough to to do that? Like Dallas, quite frankly, just overpaid for, you know, Kyrie Irving by giving up two good rotation players and a a draft pick. So you never know. I think if I had to put money on it, I'd probably bet on it being more of a buyout situation than a trade. But I could also see a window where there's a three-team deal somewhere and, like it just makes sense for the Pistons to get involved, right? Like Nerlens probably can play spot minutes for a good team, and the contract just fits whatever you know a, a, a different team's trying to accomplish. So that's more so. I'm curious to see how the trade market dictates what the Pistons are able to do with that, and if they could get value out of it instead of just buying him out. 
All right, real quick, Corey Joseph on the team post-trade deadline or not? I'm going to say no. I think that there is a, like for one, he's he's not even really been a rotation guard for the team this season. I think he could still help teams. Um, you know, and if there is a deal you need to make to, you know, open a roster spot or whatnot, uh, to me, that that's just a natural fit there. And he'll be an interested free agent uh, this offseason December to Hami. To me, like, Hami's probably a guy that you look at and you're like, yeah, like, you know, maybe there's, you know, this is a guy we're going to keep the rest of the season because he's been re- really good for us. It wouldn't shock me if he gets traded either. Like, I'm not saying he's 100% guaranteed to stay. Uh, to me, Corey Joseph strikes me more as a guy that you would probably part ways with. You know, he's a veteran guy, uh, your point guard. Uh, room is already pretty full. <laughs> It'll get even more full when, when K comes back. So, you know, at some point, you probably just look at what the next step is there. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll get into Boyan Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, and some more of the mock trades that you guys sent us on Twitter that really revolve around those two players. All right, we are back with segment three. And we're going to get into a lot more draft content. So, Bryce, I'll let you take this away. And, you know, I think this is going to be a a fun one as we get into more of the the hypothetical aspect of it. So this is from Robert Canfield, Amari. He says, Boyan, Magruder, and Livers, plus a second-round pick this year for Isaiah Hartenstein, Reddish, Toppin, and that Pistons first-round pick we discussed earlier. So this one is interesting because I do think you know, Isaiah Hartenstein is a, you know, a pretty good player, and he's popped up in a lot of rumors this year. For me, I think, one, this trade is purely for, essentially purely for that first-round pick, right? Um, you know, Toppin is French NBA rotation player right now. Reddish is probably French NBA rotation player right now. Hartenstein doesn't really fit a roster that already has uh, – you know, two young big men and, and Duran and Isaiah Stewart. And then, you know, you might add Wimby this summer. So, you know, do you really need to add another uh, power forward staff center to this roster? Probably not. Uh, so to me, that's purely for the first round pick. And uh, do you do you flip Boyan Livers in a second for uh, that, that, that first round pick? I don't know. I think you could probably do a little bit better than that. Or I think Bogey probably helps you more in the short term than what you would get from that trade. But I see you react, Bryce. Maybe you do think that that's probably worth looking at. No, I I mean, it's interesting. And my thing with Boyan, me and Wes talk about this almost every single day. And I think we're on the same page is I think I'm a little more willing to trade Boyan than Wes is. I don't know where you would stand, Amari. I know what you, you, would you give it like a four? But that was your chance that he does get traded. I don't know what you would personally do. But yeah. I would say I'm more open to trading Boyan, but I want a really good deal. And if the really good deal isn't there, then I'll just keep him. That, that would be my opinion. I really like Isaiah Hartenstein, but you're right. If you bring in Isaiah Hartenstein, you might as well find another deal that moves out Marvin Bagley III. Because if I'm a trade for Isaiah Hartenstein, I, he's going to be my big off the bench. He's going to be my second unit center. Reddish, I'm kind of whatever. We already talked about that. Obi Toppin, I am interested. If you listen to Knicks fans, they act like that's a Tom Thibodeau thing. Like, why does this guy not play more? And he's better than what he's shown. And then we talked about the Pistons first round pick earlier. Here's the thing. Here's where I think you realize... A 2023 second Omari doesn't sound like much, but that's going to be like pick number 32 or 31. That's going to be an early second round pick. And in this draft where 20 to 40, there's some really intriguing prospects and and it's really up in the air. I, I like that the Pistons have a pick in that spot in the second round, as opposed to like pick 50. So I'm intrigued. I don't know that I'm in on it though. Yeah, I would. I think I would want, a decent rotation player out of that deal too. Like the first round pick is great. Like just freeing up, freeing yourself from the clutches of the stepping rule uh, would be really good. And, you know, I guess I'm not really giving my own personal thoughts on whether or not I would trade bogey. And yeah, yeah. Like, I, wanna, you know, I want your personal, yeah. we've only got like your, your beat writer in terms of what you thought the team was going to do. What, what are your own just personal thoughts as a, a fan of the game? You know, personally, I would think really hard about trading bogey only because he is 33 and he does not have an injury history, but I kind of wrote about it actually this past Sunday where I played devil's advocate. So um, if anyone did check that out, uh, check that out on freak.com, but I just kind of played devil's advocate where it's like, well, he is 33. And you know, if you tear ACO or do suffer some sort of injury, it doesn't have to be like that serious. You know, that could really 
you know, knock you off off track. And we see that a lot with guys this age where, you know, they're playing really good basketball and they have an injury and they may come back and still be good, but you missed your window to capitalize on it. Um, I think the debate is that, like, along with that, the front office believes that this team can really compete next year. And I do, like, I do agree with that as well. You know, I think I look at this roster and I look at Kate Cunningham coming back next year and I look at having another top five, top six pick and, you know, 44, around 44 million in cap space that I can have access to. You can just bring Bogey and Burks back and both of these guys are scoring the ball really well, uh, true shooting above 60%, which is, like, fantastic. Uh, like, that's, that's, that's a pretty nice situation to be in, right? We can just bring these guys back. And, you know, again, like, I think that, when you have a guy as good as, as Bogey, I think he's been a little bit underrated. You know, maybe maybe by some people in the fan base just because the Pistons are bad. Like, yeah, okay, he's just efficient, but the, the team sucks. Why does it matter, right? They just get some value for him. You know, I think ultimately I'll probably pass on trading him simply because is the pick good enough to make up for the fact that I still want to be bad enough to, to get Wimby this offseason, right? And, you know, I think from that regard, it's like I don't necessarily want to get a good enough player back that kind of ruins, uh, you know, this very natural tank we have going. I'm not saying that sarcastically. Like, they are competing every night and, and losing every night, right? Like, this is kind of an ideal scenario to get Wimby. So, for that reason, I would probably still hold off into the offseason, but I don't think my stance would probably be as firm as the Pistons have been where this, they're, you know, just talking to people is, you know, and around the league is pretty firm, like, Pistons probably aren't going to trade Bogey unless it's like a no-brainer deal. I don't know if I would be as firm as Pistons up in. I would probably consider more, he's 33, are we overthinking this, right? Like maybe we should just get the value outs there. So I would, you know, my sense now is like there's probably only a 20% chance Bogey gets traded. You know, if I were, you know, Trey Weaver, maybe that would be like 35, 40% chance he gets traded. So from good friend Kyle Metz, he says, Boyan for Zaire Williams, Danny Green, which is essentially salary filler, and then a Grizzlies 2023 first-round pick. So I like this one because uh, when I did my four fake bogey trades last week, I did one uh, very similar to this, except I included uh, the Grizzlies uh, 22 uh, first-round pick, uh, Jake LaRabia. Jake LaRavia, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and, and instead of Zaire Williams. Uh, but either of those guys, I think, would make that a pretty good trade for Detroit. Uh, Zaire Williams, like both of those guys, you know, Zaire being like 6'9", 6'10", um, you know, uh, us to be a really good shooter and just pretty good two-way player, I think. Um, and he has, like, really good size for a, a wing as well. And you get their first-round pick, which... I mean, Grizz is like second, second best team in the West. So that's going to be in the 25 through 30 range. But, um, and then Danny Green's expiring contract, right? So you also clear some money off the books. To me, this is the type of deal I would do for Bogey. You get a good young player, a first round pick that is close to a second, but Zaire Williams was a lottery pick. And you get to clear some money off the books this summer. So you're accomplishing a lot. Like, this is the type of deal that I would. Honestly, I would consider pretty strongly. And Jake with the Ravy is really good too. Like I think he like Zaire Williams hasn't been that amazing, honestly. Like he's actually been kind of disappointing for the Grizzlies this season. So, you know, I would I would think pretty hard about Jake Laravia, or I may see if I could get Xavier Simmons out of that too. But um I'll say overall, this is the type of deal I would I would probably say yes to. Uh like I, I think this value makes it worthwhile for to not get whatever book we give you next season. Well, I think part of the problem for the Grizzlies is like we've named Xavier Williams, or excuse me, Zaire Williams, Jake LaRavia, Sante Aldama. Like they have all these young dudes that they're trying to play because they're all pretty good NBA players. And so you kind of wonder like, okay, they go to the Pistons. They have a defined role. They're playing every single... David Roddy also was a first-round pick for the Grizzlies last year that's in their rotation. They just have all these dudes. And so you kind of wonder if they wouldn't like to consolidate them and get someone like Boyan, who, you know, more established, bucket getter, all of those things. I don't love the first-round pick because it's going to probably probably be in the mid twenties, but I'm with you. This is the kind of deal that I would want for Boyan as well. I think the team I like is the Pelicans. So I want to throw out the Pelicans in the similar type of trade. We don't have a specific one, but Boyan for the Lakers pick swap and then name your New Orleans Pelicans young player roster. I think it's probably like Devontae Graham to match salary, and then maybe Jackson Hayes. What about something like that where the young prospect, Jackson Hayes, maybe isn't as enticing, but that first-round pick swap with the Lakers sure is. No, no doubt. And that's, again, like you look at teams that are young but also good and can you know, afford to part ways of assets and also have assets to spare. Like Grizzlies and Pelicans are pretty much only two teams in that list that are like, hey, we're good. 
we could compete the playoffs and we could also give up a young player in a pretty good draft pick without blinking, right? Um, I also say like the Grizzlies are just sitting on draft picks. They have the Warriors 2024 first round pick that they could swap out for their own if the Pistons are like, yeah, like we don't know if Zaire Williams or LaRavia are that good, so we need like a better pick, right? Uh, they could give that pick up and like, that's probably, that may be a pretty good pick because the Warriors seem like they can't stay healthy enough to make another run. Uh, or the Grizzlies could include another one in their future. For, like, they have so much flexibility that there's just so many different combinations they could throw out the Pistons to get a deal done. And they are at a point where I feel like they need to do something. Uh, they won 11 straight. I think they've won seven of their last eight since. Uh, you have some just team drama stuff going on. And, you know, I feel like they're at a point where they've probably ridden with their young guys maybe a little bit too long. And you can only do that for so long until you start to get impatient. And it's like, okay, like, let's consolidate some of this and uh, really prepare to make a deep playoff run. And Bogey would fit that roster to a T. So the Grizzlies are my sneaky. You know, if they really wanted to get the pistols off of Bogey now, they could probably find a deal to get it done. And they're, and they're probably the only team that I think is probably at a point where they should strongly think about that as well. The Pelicans also have some other better young players that then maybe if they just gave up their own first round pick instead of the Lakers pick swap, um, you know, well, how would that work then? I guess that wouldn't work if it would only be the Lakers pick swap. So I just think that Lakers pick swap is so valuable that like, you're not going to get a really good young prospect on top of it. So I, I don't know how that would work. Uh, let's do one for John Collins. Or actually, there's two. Fro, so from Luzalata for Wimby said, it was essentially Sadiq Bay in a second for John Collins. I'm not sure that gets it done. We also had from Pistons All Day, Boyan and Killian Hayes for John Collins and Aaron Holiday. What are your thoughts about a move for John Collins kind of in general here? Yeah, I've seen I've seen John Collins pop up in a lot of stuff. I feel the same way about him as I feel about Hartenstein. Uh, and Collins is better than Hartenstein, but he hasn't been amazing this season. Uh, he's having a down year. Uh, you have Isaiah Stewart, you have Jalen Duran, and you might get Wimby. And John Collins does make you a better team today. So I just think as far as my long-term priorities, he's not a guy I would trade for. Like, if he's available during the offseason, maybe look at it then. Like, maybe you don't get Wimby, and, you know, you need to just improve your front court and going to come off of one of one of the centers you have currently for whatever reason. Um, he, just, he doesn't strike me as a, a target for this business team. They've already invested a lot of, you know, of their young roster building into big men. And uh, to me, I just don't know how you commit to Collins and Duran and Isaiah full time when you also might get Wimby. I just think that that would kind of clash with the long-term goals of the organization. Yeah, I'm glad you said that there because it makes it real complicated all of a sudden. It doesn't make it complicated. You can move one of them. Like it, you would figure it out. But I don't know why you trade for John Collins when essentially you're in the play for drafting a generational full range. Like everybody calls Victor a center and Victor, like that's fine. I think he ultimately plays the four. Like you can absolutely play Victor next to Jalen Dern. I think that's what you would do. I've, I've joked about you know, playing Victor at the three next to Sue and Duran. I don't think that's what you actually do, although you could play some minutes that way. But he absolutely plays next to Duran in the starting lineup. And then you're bringing Stu off the bench. You already have Bagley. You can't have Stu and Collins coming off the bench. Like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I don't know that you'd want to do something like that for John Collins, who has a larger contract with years on it. And then you're kind of hooked into that. Again, not that you couldn't trade it or something, but I would just wait to see where you land in the lottery first. I want to ask about Alec Burks, Amari, because we've seen a few names, a few teams thrown around about Alec Burks. I, I, I feel like maybe he's the one that gets moved that we're not talking about as much, but there was also a report that there's an extension talks between the Pistons and Alec Burks. I don't know that I'm as in on that as much as like, hey, just bring him back next year on the $10 million player option. I think that's a really good deal, or team option, excuse me. But what, what do you think, where's your vibe with Alec Burks as we're just a couple days away from this thing? Yeah, I, I would be more surprised if Alec Burks gets moved than Bogey, honestly. Okay. Um, you know, I just think as well as he's played, you know, as well as he's embraced his role, um, he has a team option for $10 million. Um, there's the, you know, the Pistons just have no real reason to come come out for him right now. Uh, I would be I would be more surprised if he's moved to Boogie for sure, hundred percent. Okay, let's play a game real quick here to end the episode, Amari, and just remind everybody we are going live Thursday, eight p.m. Eastern on the Detroit Free Press YouTube channel. We'll recap everything from the day. Pistons, of course, maybe even the NBA at large. You can ask your questions, interact, all of that. Also, make sure you're checking out the new store with merchandise, shop.freep.com. I'm going to throw out some names here, Amari, 
And I want you to just tell me, should the Pistons be in on these guys? I, I realize maybe it's not completely reasonable, but first one, OG and Anobi. And I say no, because OG Anobi makes you better right now, but he's also sort of in that boat where he's making like he's on a pretty good contract honestly like he's making like 17 18 a year um i think he has two years left for this deal after this season so um like player option that last year i'm a free agent in 2025 uh, like the thing with anunobi is like one uh, you know does he decline that player option to uh try to make even more money in open market which he could do like maybe he is like i can make 25 26 a year um tv deal coming up like yeah, a lot players are about to become a lot more expensive. You know, if I'm the Pistons, it's like, this is not a guy I can really commit to long term. Like, uh, you know, trade for him now, give up assets. It ends up being a winner's here, Reno. And what we have to show for that, you know, to consolidate assets into a guy who speeds our timeline up and is also to become a lot more expensive. Uh, to me, he just, from a timeline standpoint, I don't think he makes sense. And from an interest of being bad this season standpoint, like, I don't think the Pistons look at that as something that we need to do right now. Yeah, I just I think he's going to cost way more than what I would want to give up on top of the stuff that you outlined. Okay, Bones Highland, maybe the most maybe the most surprising non-big name. Um, everybody knows his name because he's got the coolest nickname in the game. But you know, not necessarily a star, a, a, a kid who's played well, but all of a sudden fell out of favor or wants a bigger role or something. Should the Pistons pursue Bones Highland? I'm not crazy about Bones Highland. Like I think okay. he's good. Yeah, you know, like he's a good three-point shooter. Um, you know, I kind of look at, you know, like his, his his playmaking, like he's not the biggest point guard. And he's also just a tick under 40% shooting overall this season. And I have Ivy, I have Killian, I have, you know, Kane coming back next season, and then you might get Scoot. Um, like, I'm just, I'm, I don't see myself wanting to add another backup point guard. And, um, you know, especially with Killian on his team, like, to me, I'd rather just keep Killian at that point. I think he gives you a little bit more. Yeah, I think I'm intrigued by the name, and his game, but I just don't think he fits. All right, Josh Hart. I like Josh Hart. I've always I, been like a fan Josh, of Josh Hart. I like Josh Hart too, man. <laughs> yeah, and that's the guy that, I mean, like he's just such a good role player. Like he's a good defender. He's always been a great rebounder for his size. This uh, is not going to be well received. I just want you to know that. I guarantee you we get a tweet by noon on Tuesday about how much somebody disagrees with our love of Josh Hart. I guarantee it. I'm sure we will. Uh, it, like again, like I think he's a guy that like makes sense to like try to trade for like over the summer, like this season. Like it would be good to have a guy come in and like defend really well and give you something. Uh, but I kind of look at it from Portland's standpoint and like what would I want from Detroit that would make me want to come off of Josh Hart? And you know, I'm not sure if like Sadiq being a second round pick would really cut it. And then you look at every roster combinations, and it's just like I just I just don't think he's a guy that Pistons would be able to risk trade for if I'm giving up too much. Well, he's going to help you win games, too, because he does a lot yeah. of really good stuff. So to He's your... also going to help you win games, and you probably just need to be as bad as possible this year and write it out. you got 28-something like that games left. Like, you probably don't need to add an extra win or two on if you don't have to. A lot of these names make more sense in the offseason, to me, Amari, when, when you know after the lottery. Because here's the thing about the lottery this year. If you get the number one pick, you know who you're drafting. If you get the number two pick, you know who you're drafting, or you at least know you're going to draft Scoot and then trade Ivy or draft Scoot and trade Scoot or whatever, but you know what's going on there. Now, anything after that is uh, complete. It's going to be insane because three through eight is all over the place. All right, last name, and it's not a trade. But this offseason, as we've mentioned that, Jeremy Grant back to Detroit. Is this a real possibility, Omari? And is it something you would be interested in? Yeah, I mean, yes and uh, yes. Like, you know, Troy Weaver and, you know, Jeremy have a, a really solid relationship. The Pistons have cap space. Uh, and Jeremy, I mean, this is not a great free agency class. So I think even if that's how it wasn't there, Jeremy Grant would be. You know, it's at the top of Detroit's list just because he's a really good player and fits a lot of the stuff Detroit needs. But yeah, between the relationship with Troy Weaver and, you know, of course, he's been offered this really, really nice extension from Portland and he's just kind of sitting on it and he's like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm glad they offered me the extension, but we're going to see what's going up, right? Um, you know, I think you can easily, uh, yeah, like I fully expect the Pistons to pursue Jeremy Grant and you can just look at the tea leaves now and you just already see like, you know, like, I think it's pretty clear that Jeremy Grant's strongly thinking went to the summer and see what the Pistons are talking about before I hate this thing, right? Because he doesn't, he doesn't have to rush. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I I think that's lining his stuff up pretty well. Like, I won't go as far to say Jeremy Grant would be a Piston next summer, but I think the Pistons would like to see Jeremy Grant on the roster next season for sure. What's the money there? Where where would you go? 
anything over 30 scares the scares me. Yeah. Something around 25, I'm much more excited about. I like 25. I like 25. I could even get behind 27. I think 30 is probably, you know, the most that you could do. But like, uh, Jeremy Grant, like, just really has been really good this season. Um, you just see what he could do playing off of a guy like Damian Lillard. And you imagine him in Detroit next to Cade Cunningham and Boyan, and he can be your second or third option. And, you know, it, it, like, just his three-point shooting would be better as a third option and just what he gives you defensively. And he already knows he's, like, Cade and these guys too, right? So he would fit well. Yeah, like, I would probably go, like, I think you get him between, like, 25, 30, you feel, you know, really good over the next four years or so. So that would be like a four-year, $110 million deal or something along those lines. Well, I think what you said right there is what's important. You know, when he first came to Detroit, he was kind of being the number one option, and then things changed. They drafted Cade. And I don't think he was good defensively trying to be the number one option. But if he comes back and he's, at best, the third option behind Cade and Ivy, you also have Duran, who's hopefully going to get better if Boyan's still on the roster. All of a sudden, he's right in the same role that he is with the Blazers right now, where he's thriving. And so now he makes a lot more sense with this roster than what I think he did whenever he left. I would love to see something that started out at like 27, 28. And I don't know exactly how contracts work, but then actually slides down each year. So his contract numbers are going down as you're starting to put some of these other contracts on the book. So I I just, you know, it showed up the other day. It, It would be interesting that, you know, the stars could align with cap space. He's a free agent, the relationships. Um, it, it would be really interesting. So I definitely wanted to get your thoughts. But it, it's going to be a crazy couple days. It's already started, Omari, with the Kyrie Irving trade. We'll have to dive into a little bit on Thursday with that trade and your thoughts. But that'll be it for tonight. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. And we will talk to you Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Detroit Free Press YouTube channel. Omari, take it away, my guy. All right, big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan. Our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also, shout out to West Davenport. We'll talk to you all next week. Mm-hmm.